Hello, welcome to another episode of Hindsight's 2020. I'm here with Dietrich Demaray, and he is the owner and creator of Emotional Wealth Management. Uh, what I find interesting about Dietrich is he's one person who has had a, a positive experience in the Catholic Church when he was a child and used to go to confession and really felt like he was being listened to. And I'll tell you, if you ever want a lesson in feeling what it's like to be listened to, go and sit and talk with Dietrich. He has a, a lifetime of experience under his belt. Um, Dietrich, what else do we need to know about you to get the most out of our conversation today? Welcome to the podcast. I hope you enjoy the honest advice and personal stories. I'm Sue Stiles, the CEO of the Successful Solopreneurs School of Business, and I'm here to share hope and possibility so that you can reach the unwavering results you desire. Find the best business resources, advice, and offers at suestyles.com. And now on with the show. Well, my superpower, as you said, is listening. And uh, if I can do anything well, that's what I want to do. Mm. I meet so many salespeople and small business owners who do complete opposite of listening, myself included, which is why I recognize it, you know, oh my God, just tell you everything and, um, and have learned with some age, you know, to give the other person a chance to talk once in a while. And I'll give you a chance to talk today. <laughs> So um, I wanted to start by asking you, Dietrich, um, what is, how would you define emotional intelligence? That's a good question. And I was asked that so many times and I've read so many definitions about it. And so I landed on uh, Dr. Howard Gard Gardner's definition, who's a theorist, a Harvard theorist, and I love his research. And so I read through his whole paragraph of defining EQ and distilled it to three words. Okay. And I call, I call this the EQ triangle. So if you can sort of imagine a triangle. So once one of the so motivation on one side, do you see it in your mind? Yeah. And on the other side is understanding. And at the bottom is collaboration or cooperation. So emotional intelligence is three words. It's motivation, understanding, and cooperation. So when I sense what you're motivated by, what, you know, what's kind of driving you, uh, I have a, and then I have a better understanding of what I'm looking for. That sets the stage for collaboration right there in the simplest way. So you try to have a collaborative um, session with your clients. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, collaboration sets a whole series of sections of the brain into their proper order. It sets up a sense of connection and trust. Otherwise, we're, we're sort of sparring, jostling, dancing. We're not synchronizing until we have a sense of, oh, that's kind of where you're coming from, I understand. One of the things that we hate more than anything else, people even start wars over this, is misunderstanding. Right. Yeah. Now, I, I remember you telling me a story about your mom and dad that kind of illustrates, I think, what you're saying here about listening versus understanding. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you get into this? And, and you know, I had to think about that. Now, the only thing that really came to my mind is something my dad would say after my mom and dad would have a, like a spat about something, you know, catastrophic that should hit the news. <laughs> but it, it's always minor things, but we make them big. So as a, as a child and a youth, I would watch them misunderstand each other. And I would know what dad is thinking. I could tell. And I know what mom was trying to answer, but it wasn't matching what he was thinking. Because I, I did a lot of like, oh, I see what dad means. I see what mom means. And then all of a sudden, dad would throw his hands in the air and goes, you just don't understand me. And he would walk out, go through the kitchen to the back door, and he'd go and tinker in the garage and cut the grass, and then he would cool down. And, you know, my poor mother did her best to understand. And at that point, I realized this is, this is where I decided that I'm going to find the words to facilitate understanding. And I discovered in emotional intelligence the number one distinction that makes an emotionally intelligent person emotionally intelligent and it surprised me when I found this out it's a robust emotional vocabulary really yeah their ability to know what their emotion is and how to match that emotion with a word and then say it appropriately to the person in front of them or to themselves yeah so like my dad he would also say I just don't have the words and he would just exclaim it and so these two the tension there got my attention <laughs> and I um, I uh, I'm a lot like my mom she had many words but not a lot of pausing so I'll pause right now <laughs> okay well let's bring this around to solopreneurs entrepreneurs people in business for themselves like you and I how mm -hmm. can we apply your the the brain science the emotional intelligence all this that you're talking about what you've learned how can we apply it to um, attracting more clients and helping us um, in our business yeah the neuroscience piece and how the brain structures work is the underpinning of the work that i do with eq or emotional intelligence because you can read a book on EQ and learn it, but it has to be learned relationally because emotions are relational. And you need a connection with someone. So the number one thing that solo, solopreneurs need to learn, want to learn, and would be helpful to learn is a relational connection. And without a connection, we become talking heads. Mm. And... The brain is designed for a connection. And it's not that complicated, but when we forget that, we think the person in front of us is connecting. But it doesn't mean that they are. And so there's a lot of self-awareness going on and self-reflection, which is, which is the cornerstone of emotional intelligence. It's, it's foundational. To be aware and reflect, are we really, is this, are we getting each other? Now that is, that's the reason these are skills and they're called soft skills. They're soft, but it's really hard if you don't have them. Right. <laughs> Very hard. And you know, my, my dad, he was, a, he was a straight shooter. When he said something, you listen, because he didn't say a lot. 
and and I was always trying to get him to say a little more. But when he was playing the violin, my brother and I would we we'd be at the party. It's a house party. Relatives and friends are over, and the violins are out, and the guitars and the banjos, and here we go. And he would be tapping his foot and under the heel and my brother and I would put peanuts under the foot and crush them and grab them and keep doing this like we just loved it like we probably would have been eight or nine years old it's a vivid memory and I think how come I remember this well it's playful it's you know it's it's kind of fun and subtle and but what's interesting is that it's very synchronized and playfulness which we haven't really touched too much on, Sue. Playfulness is the genius way to connect with anyone. And you can play in any way, like really? with, with your eye contact, you know, just like funny comments, just not, not too much, just enough. And it, is, it activates whole sections in the brain that are called play circuits. And one researcher discovered these play circuits in the brain. So when I'm working with people, they they have a playful everyone has a playful part of them and when you find that little and it can, can take a millisecond but when you find that space all of a sudden connection and a sense of safety and comfort sets in right away so i just gave you three distinct words safety and being seen that's what a connection is when mm. i see you and you see me, that's a connection and comfort when the brain feels these three words, those three, it actually calms down and there's a connection with that person. It's I powerful. feel like I want, I want to be writing notes, so I'll have to watch this again when it's, uh, when it's launched. When you're saying that, I'm thinking of the children. We live across from a school and I hear them you know, playing at recess mm -hmm. and I often think, Ah, oh, listen to them all. They're screaming. They're laughing. They're so full. The life is coming out of them. But we don't do that as adults. I mean, that's as far as my thought goes. But is that what you're talking about too? Like that's just they're playing together. Correct. They and for children when they play, it's very important. Speaking to mothers and to women, women don't have the same. They have more fear circuits than than men. And that's like because of their powerful, you know, nurturing, protective component of a mother. Mm -hmm. So when women see boys playing and they get into the rough housing and the screaming, they often mistake that as, as um, you know, it's dangerous because they don't have the same awareness. Whereas if the, there's a man there, oh, they're just playing because their aggression circuits are not the same as play circuits in the brain. So when you hear those kids playing, you will, you will not hear a lot of aggression, but it's very aggressive, but it's still in the world of play. And that allows people, when you get older, to catch the nuances of all kinds of social situations. And well, I love my dad's playfulness. Like he was so playful and yet he was scary. And I liked it that he was scary because it was just because that's my dad. And like he'd scare the eebie-jeebies out of me and I don't know I liked it my mom would freak because she must would mistake it for aggression right now you have worked with some scary people you have uh, worked with police you've worked with Hell's Angels tell tell everyone at, like a little bit about that yes uh, 
without disclosing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just floods of memories and stories are coming through my mind. And uh, so one guy, he, um, we we'll call him Roger and uh, Roger was a little guy, a little man. And, but he took, a, he really liked me. He came from gangs and as, and I work with him quite a bit to help him socialize and, and, and he did super well and he was very playful, but he didn't realize that some of his gruffness would scare people. Hmm. And I had to, I sort of help him sort of, dial back from that. And I was actually training him as a leader. So there's, there's a journey of time that's gone by. And one day, and there's a group of us and he comes to visit us and he said, Hey, Dietrich, you know what happened last week? Like on Tuesday, like, I want to hear Roger's stories. He says, yeah, I was walking down the street and this guy comes at me with a knife and Roger's like a slight fellow. And he stops and he says to this guy, you know, if I was you, I wouldn't pull a knife on just anyone. Roger had a black belt, okay? <laughs> and the guy's like, goes at him. So Roger grabs him by the hand, takes the knife, puts him on the ground, says, I'm going to keep this knife. Just so you know, you got to be more careful. And maybe you need a cup of coffee. And I said, um, and then he says, you know, I'm going to, so I took him up for coffee. That's what he did. And he just talked to him normally. So he was actually being playful, but in my world, that'd be aggressive. <laughs> Wow. Like that was my world when I was working with that. And so his emotional awareness was really high, but almost too high. I had to help him dial it down. Now that's an extreme example in that, but in that world, that's a tame example. Right. So, however, the brain requires, one of the things that creates trust with people is aggressiveness in the brain. How so? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There, yeah, there's, there, there is a series of clues the brain looks for every 30 milliseconds in the world of emotion and intelligence. And one of them is competence. It's, it's constantly scanning for competence. And then secondly, it's aggressiveness, which is like a kind of odd. And the, another one, which is in there, is likability. So are, are you saying, when I'm talking to somebody new who might be a client, inside their brain is scanning me for these um, qualities? Correct. So does that explain a little bit why sometimes we might say, uh, you know, leaders of companies, we might call them bullies, but people want them to be leaders because of some of that strength? Exactly. And if you're, and this is where emotional intelligence comes in, intelligence comes in. If you're self-aware, you can reflect, uh, okay, I'm being a little too overwhelming. And even that story I just told, I'm like thinking in the back of my mind, is that, is that a little too overwhelming? So I'm trying to like dial it down and tense. So it, that ability just to do it on the spot, pivot right away. People look for that in one another because we're multi-dimensional people and our emotions flow fluidly that we're not one emotional track we're many and we're always interacting so to be intelligent with your emotions like aggression you want to be intelligent with that use it appropriately and not steamroll over people and not flood them now i had a, i had to deal with that because i was uh, my dear wife she let me know that you know what you're 
you're either talking too much or, you know, there, and she would tell me this later because I did not know the clues and she was kind of like my, I don't know, wingman. And I, and I go, oh, thanks. I didn't catch it because I got more excited about the story than the person who was trying to follow me. So I was being aggressive, but I didn't think I was being aggressive. Does that make some sense? Yes, yes. I was um, wondering if you might expand on how this could be more helpful in our intimate relationships. Um, I, I'm thinking, oh, I've heard you say so many insightful things. Um, you know, give us a tip for maintaining the home life and our relationships, those people we talk to every day. Mm -hmm. Yes, so that's where it counts, isn't it? Yeah. Like you can have everything, but if that's not working, just got a bunch of shiny things that not, don't do a lot for us. That's right. Yeah, so it's about connection. And, and you know, there's a very important distinction between men and women around emotion and intelligence. Women crave that emotional connection. And when they have that in that space, that is so valuable for her. Does that make sense to you? Sure, of course. Yeah. Whereas men, yes, they want emotional connection, but that that isn't their go-to. And like men are they want to be strong and confident. They want to be respected. And one of the ways which a man feels respected, especially by you know a loved one, is acknowledgement. Just as just so you know, I acknowledge, you know, what you've been what you sacrifice and how hard you work. And, you know, it really means a lot to me. I never say it, but like that simple acknowledgement, not overboard, not like twice a year, but as a way of connecting, when you start bringing those two pieces together intentionally, there's a synergy of being able to receive each other. And that receiving creates trust. That is such a good reminder. Such a good reminder. It's um, simple. Yeah. But not easy. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like you have to have it up on your wall. And you're writing uh, a book, which we'll get to at the end. So people, if you're like me, you know, I feel like I'm just sucking in all of this information, but I want to hear it again. Maybe I want to read something about it. Um, because what mm -hmm. you're doing is a little, a little more niched than your basic business coaching or relationship counseling. How did you decide to do this, what you're doing right now, helping, and maybe tell us a little bit more about it. Is it helping business owners one-on-one -on -one or teams or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do work with uh, business owners, high performance leaders, and it's not necessarily industry specific. So I've worked with, you know, top level CEOs in multinational corporations. I've worked with airlines, oil and gas, as well as, you know, just mom and pop businesses. Mm. And because it's, it's all very similar to us. And high performance leaders, I mean, you can be a high performance basket weaver if you want. <laughs> yeah. But there's a certain mindset that the brain gets into in the world of high performance where eventually you can lose sight of some things. And, and in the end, like you're, there's some big gaps, like how come I didn't see this? 
So one of the reasons I went into EQ is because I would hear people's stories where they were hardworking and sacrificing at the end, things crumble. And it's like, it was heartbreaking for me. And, and I said, I know, how to, I know how to navigate this. I know where they took the exit ramp when they didn't need to, you know. So I, I rigorously studied neuroscience because the brain operates at a certain series of systems that most people don't realize, but there's certain ways that it processes hurt and, and vulnerability that if you don't know that, you just, you shut down from each other. And, and that happens in partnerships all the time in business meetings. So it's not unusual for me to work with high performance leaders who show up in downtown Toronto and they're at an executive meeting and the bully at the, at the board meeting just trashes them. So they come back to me as I'm their coach and I help them discover what blindsided them. And then we tweak that from the inside out. That's very important because that's the depth of work that I do because they shut down and someone was looking to bully them until they shut down and then took control and ate their lunch. And those are many situations that I've helped uh, leaders, you know, men and women navigate those very hard things so they can handle it. And I could tell you like a dozen stories around that. It's very satisfying because I don't like bullies. We don't like bullies and we don't like it when we become bullies. No. So learning to listen for things that normally isn't heard is where powerful listening skills come in. And so one of the phrases I like, I just, I love this phrase. If I, if it's not too late to say it, it's, you know, we listen with our eyes and we persuade with our ears. Wow. That's what I teach my clients. How do you listen with your eyes? If we only listen with our ears, we end up going blind. Interesting. So you're taking it all in. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're taking it all in. I know we were, uh, at one time, we were talking about um, cold calls, you know, and how, how to get clients and cold calls aren't really the best way. And, and you're, you know, sharing so much about connection and, and listening and hearing somebody. But I liked what you also said that the first cold call should be to yourself. <laughs> yes. Like dial it in here mm -hmm. before you're trying to share yourself out there. Right. Cause people don't want to be sold, but it's interesting though. People love being sold to. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yes. That, like one of the business leaders I was working with, she like she is brilliant. I just love her. And she said, you know, Dietrich, I've learned in my career people love to be sold to. It's like, wow, yes, they do. And she said, it's kind of like flirting. There's this energy that takes place. And see, she really got it because it was about connecting and playfulness and listening and being aggressive and then slowing down, all that dance. And that's what people want. They don't want to be controlled and talked at and then sold to. You know, that's like, I won't say what I'm thinking. Yeah, <laughs> but that's your typical sales script. Like people would say, you know, this script to trick you into saying, well, of course I'd want that product. And this is a totally organic or authentic in-touch method. 
So from the inside out, yeah. From you know, we're going through a crisis right now. I mean, people are going to go through crises throughout their life, whether it's COVID, a pandemic, a marriage, a birth, uh, you know, all of these crises where they're maybe not feeling confident in themselves. And mm -hmm. right now, especially, I can imagine so many businesses are having to make the choice whether they pack it up or can, can they continue on. And there's a lot of the solopreneurs who, are, you know, I'm mostly hearing from who run their own business. And lots of times we think, you know, just keep going at it. You know, don't quit. Um, but how do we know or how can we know, you know, to make an informed choice when we don't know the future? How can this, how can we tap into that? Or is there a way? Yeah, the... These challenging times are forcing all of us to meet ourselves. <laughs> because when we're in a crisis, the first thing we discover is what are my values and what's important. And we haven't, if we haven't been able to do that on a regular basis, you know, it's happening to us now. Yeah. And if we don't do that, we end up on the wrong track, doing the wrong thing, and we think we're on the right track, and we do, and it, we get confused. So the brain, again, I come back to the beautiful part of the brain about desire and fear. So as I'm coaching people now, one of the things I'm noticing and bringing forward a lot is that when people are driven by fear, there's certain clues, and you may not be aware of it, so I'd speak, I'd speak to you and our listeners, if you might think you're not being driven by fear because when the brain is driven by fear, there's a whole section in this part of the prefrontal cortex that dims right down and we actually can't see our future uh, when, it's, when it's dimmed down. And that means fear is in the room and we lose hope and we think we haven't. Hope means I can see my future. Loss of hope means I can't see my future. And when we're in I can't see my future, then our whole brain isn't showing up for our future. And so just being aware of that and reflecting on it is very important to sort of like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm sliding into, I'm being constricted, I'm restrained, all I think about are problems, I can't, that's all fear-based thinking. And then we're using half a brain to solve big problems. And I'm not being cynical, I'm being somewhat literal here because the whole sections of the brain are now unavailable. Now the other part of the brain that we want to be motivated by is desire. Interesting. Desire, not cravings, but desire. And desire-based thinking in the brain allows us, we see our values, we prioritize things according to value, we want to grow, there's a sense of maturity when we're in a desire-based mindset. But if you, if you think desire, your brain will actually start to like get a little more curious. So, that, so what I would say to our listeners is just be self-aware and reflect, am I in a desire-based mindset or am I kind of sliding in a fear-based mindset? And you know, it can slide and shift and move and that's okay. Just being aware is, is quite a powerful skill to learn. It's a soft, skillful learning curve. I don't know if that helps, but that's... Where, is desire in the um, frontal lobe? Uh, well, the desire is a whole brain experience. Oh. You get to use your whole brain. Really? It's like very, and here's the key word, satisfying. Yeah. 
And if, we, if, if we're not satisfied, that's a part of us, usually around eight years old, that something hasn't been resolved in our developing mind at that point. And the eight-year-old brain is looking for abstract thinking. And, oh, that was satisfying. I really like this. And then we do it. And I remember I was, when I was eight and nine, I actually started to go to the Catholic Church by myself. Oh, and that was weird. Like people tell me that's weird, but I was satisfied and I liked going to confession because I could tell someone about my, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old problems. <laughs> and that meant something to me. And I didn't know till many years later, that was a deep root of listening that opened up in me there. And I felt safe. I felt comforted and I felt seen by the listener, not the eyes, but the ears. Mm -hmm. And that set something in order for me. I didn't know that until many years later when I start to study, you know, the, the basics of how the brain functions in EQ. And so I created this emotional wealth management system uh, for working with business leaders. And I train a lot of coaches. And yeah. Yes, because we are the ones who really need to be able to listen well and get what people are saying between the lines that they're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and so tell us, what is next for you? You're writing this book. When is it going to be out? How can we get more information? How can we get more Dietrich? <laughs> Thank you, Sue. Yeah, so this book is, was interrupted by COVID like all of us have been in different mm. So I was, you know, it was well on the way and then COVID hit and I, real, and I just kind of let everything drop, let the dust settle. And I went back into leaning into it again. And so the book is called From Chaos to EQ, The Art of Shining Shoes. Hmm. What does that have to do with anything? Well, I was doing a lot of work downtown and I was getting my shoes shined at this <laughs> one place. And after the third shine like what a nice guy i said how long have you been here and he's right at the he's at the beginning of a plus 15 not in it he said, oh 35 years 30 35 years like here well no i was in that corner and then i went to that corner now i'm in this corner huh. he said i've raised my family you know i have my house and you know i'm looking forward to retirement and and i just thought this guy has figured out EQ in such a seamless, invisible way. He has an incredible clientele that, that go to him. That, and so I said, you know, I like to write it. I'm writing this book, but I, the best way to teach EQ is through a story, not more data and research, because you can find that and it means nothing. Can I tell your story? And I said, I'd like to meet some of your friends. I cleared it with their friends. And because he's part of a huge community downtown. And he got sick once. And the people who got, a who got their shoes shined by him said, where are you? He says, well, I'm sick. And so these guys got together and they had a fundraiser for him. Wow. 600 people showed up. And wow like the who's who and just the normal run-of-the-mill people and his wife says who are all these people and he goes these are my friends <laughs> like that is eq extraordinaire this guy has made an impact and i want to introduce the world to who he is and how quietly effective eq can show up 
in any business to make a lifelong impact. Now, at the end of the book, there's an incredible story that just took our breath away when I heard about a story. I said, I'm going to leave it to the end of the book. Now, there is, there's a distinct reason that 600 people came. That, and so we're going to have yeah. to buy the book yeah. to get that story. But thank you so much for sharing. I mean, this is open up. I'm, I mean, for me, I love talking mm -hmm. with you. We've known each other for a few years, but I'm still learning and hearing what you're saying. And I'm sure the listeners, hey, just tap into this a little bit. Consider what a benefit this doing for yourself can bring to your business and your clients. Mm -hmm. um, and where can people find you? You can just look Emotional Wealth Management Incorporated or EWMI. -E and that's your website then you'll have yeah, yeah. or Dietrich Demery EWMI yeah so thank you so much for sharing today I know you got something out of it I'm actually going to watch this one again where I can take some notes Dietrich thank, thank you, you for sharing your time and we'll see you next time on Hindsight's 2020